Okay, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, goofballs, scumbags, and everybody in between. Now, y'all know what time it is. We are back at it, as we always are. This is the Football Misfits, home of the Footballing Misfits, uh, episode 127. We're getting up there in age, guys. As always, I am your host with the most... LV, a.k.a. Paper Fronto, a.k.a. My Rainey's Black Bottom, a.k.a. Buck Nasty, the sad Spurs fan. Bro, I don't even know anymore. Just, just end it. End it all. Not in order. And y'all know this would not be the Football Misfits unless I was joined by the other host with the most dest, the man with many titles. But I normally know him as Mr. Misfits, the one, the only. He's been getting it done for quite some time, and he will continue to get it done. As long as these mics are on. I also know him as Ronnie. Uh, Ronnie, say what's good for the one time. What is good for the one time, my people, my friends, my brethren, sister, and stay strong and be brave. Boom, pow. And uh, tonight we may or may not uh, be joined by the data desk himself, the the man uh, backing everything financially, as we always say, uh, Spencer Tino Perez. Uh, Spencer Povich, the Spencyclopedia Britannica. He may pop on, he may not. We'll see what happens. That being said, uh, a question that I have been asking you for quite some time, and I'll ask it again. Ronnie, where do you want to start? Should we do match of the week again? I, I think week, we what? should, but I feel like we have the same match of the weekend. You're probably right about that. <laughs> yep. And by the match of the weekend, everybody knows we're talking about um Mushin Gladback Leverkusen, right? Of course. Ah, uh, I don't know about Munchen Gladback Leverkusen. <laughs> I was thinking more so of Toulouse and Brest. Ah, uh, Brest. <laughs> but of course, all the jokes aside, the match of the day, I think, for you and for me came today, Sunday, day of recording, the Arsenal. And the United, that is Manchester. Woo-wee! Yes, indeed. I think there's no doubt in my mind. That's probably one of the games of the season for me. And boy, what an event this was. What a 90 minutes we got. Oh, man. What a 90 minutes indeed. It's off the rip the way everything just felt like it, it felt like a moment. It was stop what you're doing, must-see television. It was a very entertaining match. Both teams looked like they were ready for the moment. And off the rip, it seemed like Manchester United got off on the right foot. A brilliant goal from Marcus Rashford. Yes, indeed. The man of the moment for Man United. What a turnaround he's had this season under Eric Ten Hag. We've talked about it time and time again, so no need to go too deep into that. But uh, incredible goal off of a Thomas Partey mistake. Picks the ball up in Arsenal's final third, nutmegs Partey, and then says, I don't even want to go for much further than this. Let me just rocket that to the bottom left corner. Uh, woo! Beautiful, beautiful play from him. And it, I think he's well-deserving of the moment. I think he's their leading scorer. Guy's on fire. No, Marcus Rashford definitely is. This season, like we've made mention of before, it has been quite the turnaround. What is it, nine league goals this season? He was nowhere near that last season. <laughs> Not even close. Yeah. But we know he's capable <laughs> of, you know, being Manchester United's goal-getter, and it's good to see him back in a hell of a form. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, yeah, like you said, he would he would get United on and popping, up 1-0 early, away from home at the Emirates, and putting a slight damper on Arsenal's incredible form this season. We know their only loss on the books in the league was to United at Old Trafford back in 2022 at the beginning of the season. So I'm sure that they wanted to prove a point uh, and, and had a chip on their shoulder coming into this match. And not a good way to start. Although they did play uh, good football in the first half. It was a back-and-forth kind of game. Um, yes, because as soon as United scored, Eddie and Katia said, no, nah, I'm taking this back 1-1. And just like that, I think you could have – you felt the beginnings of, oh, this could, this could be something. This match could be something because uh, it was back-and-forth. Uh, from that point on, I think on the day, I'd have to say from a, far, a first 11 perspective, Arsenal were the better squad. But you love to see that when there's goals on the score sheet and it's just 
you might have a chance and I'll have a chance. And you really can't look away from a game like this. And that first half would stop in that way. 1-1 would be the score uh, going into the second half. And th- those wouldn't be all the goals, Ronnie. Those would not be all the goals at all. Later on, in the second half now, where we go, um, Bukayo Saka. It was, an, um, again, these, some of these goals were outstanding. Bukayo Saka he found a slot where he could get it past David De Gea to give Arsenal the lead, 2-1. I'm sure at this point, uh, the Gunners were high-flying, going down 1-0 to go up uh, 2-1. And we, we speak about Marcus Rashford being you know, the man of the moment for the Red Devils. Uh, but Kyle Saka has been the man of the moment for Arsenal. Incredible form. He's been unbelievable all season. And it's funny, when he scored the goal, before that goal happened, you know, left foot, curler, beautiful stuff, uh, you know, something that shows how talented he is on his left foot. He was teasing that at the end of the first half, just chasing, yeah. getting down that, uh, that right hand, Man United's right-hand side, cutting back, and just every chance he saw Luke Shaw in the box defending for his life, He's like, it felt like I'm watching Iron Robin or something like that, you know? I know he's going left. Luke Shaw knows he's going left. And he couldn't stop it. He couldn't stop it. That's a fact. But the celebrations were short-lived for Arsenal. Little old Lisandro Martinez, the man who people said was too short to play in this league, found uh, off of Manchester United's corner kick. It was punched away by Ramsdale. Don't know why he did that. Martinez. Sees the ball coming towards him and does a little trade songs. Oh, I'm about to die and heads the ball into the net. <laughs> he absolutely did. The feisty uh, short center back makes it 2 2. It's, it's a tie game again. We're all square away. I'm sure both sides might have been content walking away with one point uh, with everything that's on, you know, up for grabs here. Um, a little bit more content. I'd I say think United. I think United. I think I. I think I agree with you. I think Arsenal want to put as and need to put as much distance uh, as they can uh, from anybody that's in second at the moment. Obviously, that's Manchester City because of the the historical aspect of we know City can put on a run, and the more points you have as a buffer uh, in case you make some mistakes as the season continues, the second half of the season, the better. So, I think Arsenal would probably want the three points. And for that reason, I think I agree with you. I feel like Man United would have been happier off with the one point and walking away four points on the season against a rival like that. And it keeps them uh, in, in this uh, this title race. Something that we couldn't have said early this season, but we'll get into that, of course. But um, another sidebar, uh, Lisandro Martinez, probably the shortest player in the Premier League history. And next to Vut Vekor is probably the tallest player in Premier League. Well, He's not. He's no Peter Crouch, but you know what I'm trying to say. The, the height discrepancies is crazy. It, 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 it's, it's, not, it's not even a gradient. It's just the whoop. Um, but that does that, that does that does uh, beg the question. Uh, you know what? I'll, I'll save it for after the match is done. Two two. Um, and I think once United scored that second goal, much like after they scored the opener, uh, it was all Arsenal. After that, I think Peter Drury, as he always does, he says it best. He said at this point it was an all-out siege uh, on United's box. Arsenal had chance after chance, wave after wave, just peppering David De Gea, putting him to work, something something that we haven't seen in, in a while. Um, and, and he was holding up to it, albeit some questionable punches instead of catching the ball. Um, but it was every 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 foot on deck, if you will, be it uh, Luke Shaw, Lissandra Martinez, Rashford coming back. Bruno Fernandes actually really defending for his life. Brun French. Brun French, defending for his life. Everybody putting their bodies on the line to keep Arsenal at bay. But it it felt like for a moment, because there was so much time left when it was 2-2, that if that kept up, Arsenal were going to get that third. As the match continued on, it felt like United were going to be able to hold on. It was not, Arsenal were not going to be able to break through as we've seen so many times. The amount of pressure you put on, sometimes it just doesn't work out. However. That is a very... Big, however, Arsenal did find a way to break through in literal garbage time. Eddie Nketiah right in the box, poaches the ball in to secure three points. Now, it does go under VAR review, and a lot of the camera points to uh, Zinchenko. 
And he was probably the subject of whether or not the play was offside. Everybody was onside, and Ketia included. 3-2 at the death. Arsenal 3, Manchester United 2. And again, what a match. What a finish. It's all, I think that if I final play, Zinchenko, and, you know, great run, great cross in to cause some havoc. And then Enketia, uh just slotting in for Gabby Jesus when we figured that maybe Arsenal might go through a scoring slump without him, uh, just taking the spot and doing exactly his job. Uh, and what a beautiful way to end the match at home in front of uh, 60,000 plus uh, Arsenal fans. 3-2, man. Wow. It, it, felt like, it felt like 2002, 2003, a vintage Arsenal versus Manchester United. You would have thought that Alex Ferguson and uh, Arsene Wenger were out there on the touchline. Like I mentioned to the gentrified Gooner and to you guys, it's a rivalry that's been rebooted. I've not you felt this way it. about this match since those days. Yeah, yeah. And you love to see it and in this point of the season, halfway through. Uh, both of these teams have a lot to play for, are still very much in it. And like you said, yeah, it, has, it hasn't been that way in quite some time. Um, so stakes are high, uh, excitement is high, and the entertainment matched all of that, and then some. Now, final score aside, Let's get into the nitty gritty of the match uh, itself. And then obviously it, like, it wasn't Alex Ferguson. It wasn't Arsene Banger. We have to dive into the managers as well and the things that they've been doing and some conversations that we've been having about them. Um, I do want to give a quick look into a couple players. One of them, the new signing for Arsenal from Brighton Hope Albion, Leandro Trossard. Impact, instant impact off of the bench. Played a crucial role in that goal, that, that winner. Um, yep, agreed. Just came off flying. He didn't look like he needed a couple minutes. He was ready to go out the gate. Um, he probably was, if it weren't for the fact that he made the transfer like not that long ago, he might could have even started. Yeah. Um, not much of an impact he had today. So good. He just, he just was causing havoc um, and, you know, trick trickery in the box. They almost scored a second goal uh, or a, a fourth goal, if you will, <clears throat> in those – final minute and a half, 30 seconds because of him. And so I definitely wanted to point him out uh, specifically. I talked about Marcus Rashford outside of the goal. I feel like he kind of uh, wavered as the match went on. And you could say that the complete opposite of Arsenal's attackers. They picked things up as the match went on. And then a question for you. I know who Vegors is your man. How did you feel about him today? Started off the rip. I didn't expect him to come in right away and, and play. Uh, how did I feel about Vudvekhorst? He was good. Could he have been better? Of course he could have. United played pretty good, but they let the lead slip away. But yeah, he's, I think he's been doing pretty okay, finding his footing in the Premier League. He's going to end up finding the score sheet soon. I'm, I am not concerned. Y'all know I'm not concerned. Vudvekhorst is my guy. Word to Wolfsburg. But yeah, I think he's okay, like I said, finding his footing. And... Yeah, he's probably going to score some more as the season moves on. So I am not con- I don't have any concerns for Vegkhorst or anything like that. He was good. Yeah, and of course, big, room for improvement. A big body in the prem uh always gives you kind of a, a head start and whatever he can do with that and his finishing boots, I'm sure he'll find them as well, but yeah, I thought he was a good addition. I think he provided uh some decent hold of play, uh, good definitely good for the long ball creating second chances for uh, United's dangerous defenders. I think uh, one player I was disappointed in today was Anton. I think I feel like he he, did, he never made the right move. It was kind of all him. He was he was too busy trying to nutmeg Ben White. They had something going on on that left hand on Arsenal's left hand side or right hand side. Um, and all his passes, some passes where Marcus Rashford looked like he could get in were just you know just off of the mark on the day. I'm not saying he's terrible, but I think he did, he disappointed today. He did he disappointed. Yeah, he definitely wasn't involved as much as he usually is for Manchester United. It I could see why you say that. He Google has him rated higher than Veghorst, but I don't know all that. But, yeah, he, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, just but I, I do. Uh, I see your point, and I agree. I, I can't argue that. One last thing on 
the players for United, this was a match Casemiro would have loved to be in. Oh, man. I'm sure he was kicking himself for picking up a yellow in the midweek. Uh, and the oh, accumulation yeah. got yeah. him, so he wasn't able to play. They could have definitely benefited from having Casemiro, but despite not having him, it's not like it was a huge drop-off. No, Scott McTominay was actually playing okay. Scott McTominay. I say that just because I know Arsenal's midfield has been unbelievable form. Unbelievable form. And Thomas Partey hasn't put a foot wrong um, outside of the goal uh, that Marcus Rashford scored. But all season, he hasn't put a foot wrong. Shaka's finding his, his pace, and Odegaard's been incredible. So... I I felt that United might struggle more in that midfield, but credit to tactics, credit to the players. They all arrived and they made it feel a little bit more even, at least in the first half. In the second half, I think they were they were getting swamped. Um, and you feel like Casemiro's presence might have changed things there. Uh, he hasn't lost a step either for folks that might have been like, oh, why did he go to United? Is he done? You know, he can't play at the high level in Madrid, yada, yada, yada. Like, he hasn't lost a step. That's that's a That's a fact. He's been looking incredible. Uh, and that Manchester Derby will, will will show you exactly what I'm what I mean by that. But yeah, United players came to play. The second half, Arsenal just turned it turned it another level, and it's giving me feelings of Liverpool in the 2019-20 season when the going gets tough. They seem to be able to go into an extra gear and find the all important goal, or things just seem to go their way because they're at such a high level. And this match. Uh, we spoke to the gentrified gunner. I mean, he's been calling me nonstop, and I think he just texted me actually <laughs> with some sort of, of factoid did. about the game. Yes, but these are the moments, uh, as he mentioned, that when you look back in May, um, can be the difference between you finishing with a you know with the Premier League title or finishing in second. These are the moments that you think about, and time and time again with Liverpool in 1920, they were always able to pull it out of the hat when things looked like it may not go their way, and it shows the gravity how every point kind of can matter um and we'll see this season if that ends up being the case but for the moment huge 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 win for arsenal they they arrived they arrived and they they, they took the moment and united kudos to them giving us an entertaining match it was a Mikel arteta's day man jeez <laughs> yeah it, arsenal i think this game right here is a season-defining result, regardless of whether they go on and win the title or somehow so may come up close. It's a season-defining win for Arsenal. Everything that could go right did. And you just have to beg the question, can they hold on? At this moment in time, it's hard to say they don't, especially with a, a five-point lead and a game in hand on Manchester City. Right, exactly. This win was monumental, like you said. Uh, could have championship implications because, yeah, the game in hand is all important. I believe it's against Everton. Um, so you, you obviously it's all about points on the board, uh, so you can't count it yet. But, I mean, you'd imagine they'd be able to pull through. But Arsenal in a great spot. They're scheduled for the next few, the next month or so, uh, despite European football is not as hectic. And so they, they, if they continue on in this fine form, which I'm, I don't see any sort of drop-offs barring any Injuries to some important players uh, that, you know, they'll drop off in, in consistency. Yeah, it's going to be hard. City's going to have to com- get, compete at the same level and hold it down at the same level. However, uh, they do have a, a hell of a March and April. I think they still have, they play City twice in a couple months, which is weird based on, obviously, the, this World Cup. City is up. Arsenal's game in hand. Right. They have a, a game in hand with City. And then they play them again, just a regular uh, away fixture, I believe. They do have some more big tests coming on but up until this point all you can say is that they've passed every test that's come in front of them they have passed exactly and that has to be commended um yes yes it does as as hard as it is for me to say (laughs) uh, absolutely i know how it is for you i think we've mentioned the gentleman gunner many a time tonight and um earlier this week he came out the hot takes were hot taking oh he was stirring up some Mischief in the misfits uh, sphere, if you will. Now, it could be a hot take, depending on how you look at it. Let's just jump right into what he said in the comments of the Fitty Misfits. Arteta post Alba Aubameyang over Eric Ten Hag post Ronaldo. Now, it's obvious that both Arsenal 
Arsenal have been doing better without Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. And it's clear as day that Manchester United have been stellar without Ronaldo. I mean, today's result probably would lean towards Arsenal if anybody was, you know, going into the debate. I was thinking about this throughout the day, and it, it's a good I, – I love the take because it, it gives us a chance to debate. It's a very debatable topic. You could argue for both sides. Um, I think in terms of uh, the cojones factor, uh, Eric Ten Hag, I mean, in my opinion, I think it was the easy decision, but that doesn't make – it didn't make the decision easy, if that makes sense, because Cristiano Ronaldo ha- has held such a position in the footballing world no matter where he is, uh, where he's playing. Um, you saw it at, at Juventus where folks were saying that maybe he's not – he's making the team worse, but his individual stats, you know, were incredible. And he was obviously scoring goals, which gets the team points, and so you couldn't really say much. In his first season at United, it was more of the same thing. If a player, It seemed like things weren't working um, with the team as a whole. Clearly, players weren't playing as good as they are now, but he was scoring goals. Uh, he finished third, I believe, in scoring – uh, his first season at you know, his first season back at United, and he he saved them many a time. He had a lot of match winning or point securing goals. That drop off was tremendous for Ronaldo because he wasn't doing any of the stuff um, to tail off the season and in the beginning of the season. So Eric Ten Hag made the what was the easy decision, but because of how big Ronaldo is, it could have been something hard. And so that takes some cojones. For going cojones factor, I think I'm putting a point in Ten Hag's. Uh, camp. Now, that's not to say that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang wasn't a big player at Arsenal. They invested a lot of money into him, and he was their perennial goal scorer. Uh, He stopped being, and that's what I think what it's all about, he stopped being productive in terms of his goal output. And while it may have been taking away from the team as a whole, Arsenal did kind of wane in those moments, especially at the end, towards the end of the seasons and things like that. It was his off-pitch stuff, coming late to practice, showing disregard for the manager. And I think Ronaldo was doing some more of the same as well. So Cojones points to Arteta as well for being uh, a manager in a tough time and refusing to play what a lot of people could consider one of their main stars, one of their higher earners, um, and saying, you're not playing because you're trying to, you know, he made, he made a stand, he made a point, and it worked. Um, with that being said, I think Arteta does deserve credit for what he's done because. He is a first-time, you know, he's a first-time manager. He's given this project, and he's had his ups and downs, but he stuck with his guns, and now they're top of the table halfway through the season, five points clear with a game in hand. And a lot of folks, I'm, I'm sure, were calling for his head when things were going awry, and he was refusing to play Aubameyang. So in terms of big picture, it's hard to tell because this is Ten Hogs for a season at Man United and in the Premier League. And everything, Man United look like, look like a completely different team in just the span of, what, six months? It's, yeah. man, it's hard. It's, it's hard. And I'm going on a rant here, but all that to say, big picture, it looks like Arteta's in the lead. That being said, I think I'm going to side with Eric Ten Hag and Cristiano Ronaldo. That's where I'm at. I think that was the bigger move. It was a bold move. And... It, it, again, it was an easy decision, right? We've been saying it for how how long? So much something so that because somebody BS of the year for disagreeing. Boom, pow. Shoscar wouldn't do it, uh, coward. Neither here nor there. It was an easy decision, and it's been that way for quite some time. And that is facts. Ten Hag did it early. Same with Harry Maguire. Get him out of here. Um, and, and, you know, with that being said as well, Arsenal have done a wonderful job in replacing Aubameyang and getting a, 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 a striker who I feel like lost his way as, as a striker at Manchester City and Gabriel Jesus. And really, just who needs who needs an Obama when you got players like that? Uh, now, United, I mean, they got Doug Horse. I feel like they still could use another forward. But both of them really deserve a lot of credit for what they've done. I think Ten Hag, uh, for just sitting Ronaldo and saying, bro, hang it up. Get out of here, bro. <laughs> I don't care what you've done. Get out of here. I think that's... I think that's commendable, and for that reason, I'm going with, I'm going with, uh, with Tenor. It took Arteta a minute to, you know, find the success without Aubameyang. You could say, like, as soon as Arsenal rid themselves of Aubameyang, which was last January transfer window. <clears throat> yes, last January uh, he went to Barcelona. Yes, um, he went to Barcelona last January, and as soon as they uh, 
got rid of Aubameyang, they still were kind of, they weren't all that hot necessarily. They did get some wins as the calendar year progressed, but they still got losses to likes of Liverpool and Brighton and so on and so forth. <laughs> they lost uh, the yeah. North London Derby too. A big, a big derby, yeah. Uh, and they, you know, their season panned out in a way that obviously they wouldn't want. They were, they had the chance to to seal the Champions League spot, and it didn't work out for them to finish the season. Uh, right now, to finish the point, of like you, like you mentioned, getting rid of Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo is ballsy. Ten Hag restored the Manchester United's bigger than an individual type deal at the club, but we've even seen it. After that Brentford game, the fact that he benched Ronaldo, uh, he got rid of what he of those pieces that he felt like wasn't really cutting it for him, and that means one of the best football players ever who's not doing it for him at the moment. So be it. Am I gonna get hate and slander for this? Of course. Are people gonna say I'm disrespectful? Yes, but I'm not. And their success has come much more immediate than Arsenal's without Aubameyang. I mean, now this season, of course, because. You're already a season in. Since Ten Hag ultimately benched Ronaldo and then, you know, got rid of him, United have been on fire. Like, they have climbed all the way up into the table. They're in fourth level on points with Newcastle. And where were they at? They were, they were probably where Chelsea and Liverpool are right now when yeah. all this debacle was happening. Certainly. So to get them in a Champions League spot, and they're probably going to hold on to it. I would say Ten Hag without Ronaldo, but nothing to discredit Arteta. That's just that just takes that took more time. Whereas Arteta, you know, as soon as that happened, all right, boom, we're a football club again. Let's get this going. So that's where I agree with you. And again, not to discredit the Arsenal. Oh yeah, I mean, if you're, if we're thinking just in terms of. Um... That move of either getting rid of Aubameyang and getting rid of uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, there's a, there's so many layers to it as well in terms of the sizes of the clubs and uh, you know this that and the third. I think big picture, Arteta clearly is in the league. Um, you know he his his plan is finally working and he's worked at you know for the course of I think now four seasons. Uh, no right. Seasons. My thing is it, it was quicker for Manchester United to get off of this Ronaldo struggles for him to bring them down whereas it took time for Arsenal and Aubameyang. Yep. Four short months and this is a different Man United team. Uh he's he's clearly like you know got in the dressing room under him, Eric Ten Hag, uh in a very short amount of time. And for a first time manager in this league where it's can you do it in the Prem? I know you hate that. They they're buying into his his um philosophies or whatever. The players are riding for him it seems Everything seems to be clicking in such a short amount of time for a manager in his first season in the Premier League where things can be tough. It looked bleak for him at the gate. And we've seen Dutch managers not named Louis van Gaal really struggle. Frank de Boer, I'm looking at you. Um, yeah. But Ten Hag is letting folks know, like, I'm not just doing this at Ajax. I'm, I'm actually a good manager. And I, if you give me the time, I can make something happen. In, in this span of four or five-ish months, uh, he's put in a lot of work and – added some really good additions and dropped some players that clearly have not been working uh, yeah. for a while. Right. So very good points made here. Uh, if we look at uh, how that conversation turned out in the comment section, Randy Johnson, our guy, the question was, was Gully making points? Were points made? He said points are not being made. I hate to call that a little bias because I mean, I do too. But uh, it sounds a little hurt to me. That's what it sounds like. If it's the same man that I know, it does sound like bias. Yeah, pick up to Randy Johnson. I hope he's we doing We all well. know that Gully's <laughs> comment came out of bias as well. It sure did. It absolutely did. Uh, and so a little bit of bias on both sides. I think it, it was a great uh, a great take. Randy Johnson, uh, biases aside, I think is making points just as, as we as we did here. Uh, Did Ten Hag's stock go up with the loss? Um, I think, uh, despite whatever happens, again, if I look macro level, big picture, uh, Ten Hag's stock is through the roof still. 
at this very moment, uh, well, Arsenal were clearly the better team, if, if I'm being honest, on the day. The second half it was not even a competition, I think. Um, but on to this day, on the record, um, Man United are the only team to beat Arsenal this season. Um, so I think despite what happens this season, unless barring any sort of terrible catastrophe where United, you know, shit the bed, um, I think Ten Hag stock is, is still quite high. Despite the loss, I don't think it changes. I don't think it, it goes down a bit or anything like that. That is Arsenal and Manchester United. Again, final score from the Emirates, 3-2 in favor of the Gunners. I didn't even know NBC were, were doing their fan fest in Orlando this week. They were, man. They, they, they've they uh, been out with Gary Cahill all weekend. Uh, um, it's been funny watching him. Um, he, had a, he had a funny take about uh, Man City versus Spurs on Thursday, where City came back down 2-0 to win 4-2. I think they asked him, do you think this is where Spurs uh, kind of squeeze in? And he's played for Conte, obviously. He knows maybe how he gets down. But this is where Spurs kind of buckle down. Uh, do you think City makes a comeback? And he says, no, I think it's over with. <laughs> Boy, was he wrong. <laughs> Jesus Christ, ain't that some shit. Oh, man. What else stood out in this in the English top flight? Um, oh, and then you could carry this on to what else stood out in football this week. Uh, Erling Holland, yet another hat trick this season. It, it was only a matter of time after the World Cup uh, break that he would get his back. He did have a bit of a scoring rut, if you will, if you want to call it that, for two, for, for two three or so games or whatever. But he made all of, up for that uh, at the at the at the hands of uh, Wolves, unfortunately, uh, at the Etihad Stadium this weekend. Man City three, Wolves nil. Another Erling Haaland hat trick. I saw a stat today. Cristiano Ronaldo. We're speaking about him already. Um, career hat tricks in the Premier League three. Erling Holland career hat tricks in the Premier League four as it stands. Uh, as it stands, I mean I don't know what this guy's gonna do. He's he's ripping up this this goal uh, tally that stood for so long that Mo Salah just recently broke. But you don't really see folks go past the, you know the thirty goal threshold is a is an insane season for any forward, and he might hit that before March. That's crazy. It's ridiculous. Um, so Erling Haaland, I think, definitely worth mentioning uh, as far as the Prem goes. Um, now, Newcastle Crystal Palace, a nil-nil draw, but the rare nil-nil draw that you really love to watch. It was feisty. Um, Newcastle were trying to break through. Uh, they couldn't get that all-important goal. Crystal Palace doing a real good job of hunkering down. Patrick Vieira has got them defending. Uh, and Newcastle, obviously, they don't concede goals. Uh, so they, it was just a, an impressive match to watch. Nil nil would finish. Uh, Newcastle also very impressed with them this season. I think we could have seen that coming. Uh, I think it was was it a little kid last season when they beat Arsenal in the second to last match day. Uh, he said, "This is where we compete with for top four. Lock it in." <laughs> so, I mean, they look they look great. They look great. Um, what but about the marquee nil nil Liverpool Chelsea? Piss poor. One of the worst games I've seen in a long time. <laughs> it always features Chelsea. It, I, I don't know what it is. I mean, Chelsea and Liverpool, I, I can't remember. I feel like the fixtures can be exciting. Their FA Cup final was exciting, and it was a nil-nil match. I believe it was the FA Cup final. Yeah, or it was the League Cup. One of those cups last season. Um, but this was not that. Uh, it was changed the channel. I almost put cricket on. <laughs> she was terrible I think that does it for me in the Prem Spurs play tomorrow I already mentioned they get they got cooked by City after going up 2-0 what a what a roller coaster what a roller coaster that was the worst yeah. first half team has a wonderful first half performance the best second half team has a terrible second half performance and if that's not Spurs I don't know what is yep um, let's talk about that big story in City A this week. Hey, a uh, wise man once said, I can't remember who said it, but if you're not cheating, you're not trying. And boy, uh, when you think of cheating in Serie A, I'm sure there's been many a scandal. But one team, one team just seems to find themselves in the thick of it. Oh, don't they love cheating? That's what it feels like to me. 
Uh, now, this wasn't, as far as we know, with the evidence that surfaced so far, this wasn't Calciopoli. Wasn't that? Now, however, Juventus, the old lady, the Bianconeri, the cheaters, uh, booked on cooking the books, if you will, uh, with their fraudulent swap deals so they could, uh, I guess, look like they were making a profit for the calendar year, a whole lot of detail, this, that, and the third. I think uh, we don't need to necessarily get into all of that stuff, but the punishments that were levied on Juventus, I think, are worth um, talking about, Ronnie. Yeah, to quickly get into that, 11 current or former Juve directors were banned. This includes the club president, Andrea Agnelli, a uh, two-year ban. Federico Cherubini, 16 months. And uh, your boy right now, Fabio Paratici, two and a half years. Jeez. Fabio Paratici has, uh, has sneakily tried to get away from it, it seemed. Uh, but they it caught up to him. Uh, the entire Juventus board, I know we talked about them resigning. You knew when the Juve executive board all decided to resign in bulk that something was up. Oh, yes. <laughs> I think I, I, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that something was going on. And being the Juventus fan of the pod, I don't know if I could defend that shit. I, I definitely can't. And you know, there's that one man who I don't know how, how long his punishment is. I'm glad to, I was glad to see out Pavel Nedved. Peace out. I hope you got a two year ban as well. To be oh, lifetime. Pavel Nedved, your, your ultimate op at Juventus. Literally stealing a Ballon d'Or from Thierry Henry. What's wrong with you? Oof. Duh. <laughs> um, but it was basically uh, like you, you basically said it like, Transfer irregularities, swap deals are fishy, just so money can exchange hands. ESPN actually has a very good like explainer on what all this means. So if I acquire a guy for 10 million and offload another for 10 million, I've magically made a profit of 8 million. 10 million in and 2 million out because I'm spreading the 10 million cost over five years. Answer, on paper, yes. In real life, no. And of course, you still have to account for 2 million every year for the life of the contract. But in the short term, in your scenario, you can show a capital gain of 8 mil. And, you know, capital gains, they're not good at that. So that's partly why they got sanctioned and they were docked 15 points in Serie A. Oh, and we talked about uh, how Juventus were finally building up uh, and making an impact on the league table, squeezing into third place, uh, putting themselves in a position to succeed under Mass Allegri, who really had a rough, rough, rough season. And 15 points, they're down. I got the math right here. Uh, before the announcement, Juve were sitting in second place in the Serie A behind Napoli. No, I'm 39. sorry, third place behind Napoli. They had 37 points. 37. Uh, one behind AC Milan and 10 off Napoli. With the announcement and the docked points, Juve now had 22 points, sandwiched between Fiorentina and Bologna in 10th. Today, they have recorded, they drew Atalanta 3-3. That was a crazy-ass match. They went up right. a spot to 9th with 23 points. Right. 23 points, I mean, that... If you're just talking on the pitch, that has got to suck because they were in pole position to make something happen. Not saying win the title, but absolutely, you know, with a chance to finish in the Champions League spot and, you know, maybe as high as second place with the way they were performing. Um, whether or not that was going to happen, obviously, now we'll never know because they're sitting in 23rd. Uh, I'm sorry, they're sitting with 23 <laughs> points. Yo, <laughs> imagine if they invited teams up to be like, oh, you're in 23rd place. Boy, don't put that on you, Zach. That, that'd be some calcio. That's calcio poly, my fault. Yeah, But um, I do want to point out real quick the the uh, the bands uh, handed over to the uh, the front office execs or former for whatever front office execs. Uh, Paratici getting, I think, the lengthiest, it seems, two and a half years. But all of those, I think, are just at the moment within the FIGC, so in, in, within Italian football. Um, yeah, the Italian FA. Now, 
I believe from what I read in reports, shout out to Gab Marcotti, uh, the red-faced Gab Marcotti, of course, of ESPN. Um, it seems as if um, there's going to be some appeals to, to Oh, no, they're definitely appealing. Right. And also uh, trying to upgrade those punishments uh, past the, the grounds of the Italian FA and into uh, European FA and also within FIFA. Um, so whether or not that will happen, we shall see. If I know Spurs owner Daniel Levy, he's not cooperating uh, with Paratici in any way, shape, or form. He's probably going to be like, I'll point him out in court and testify against this man right now. Give me the call. Uh, I think if that does happen, Paratici, it's it's going to be rough for him. And, uh, of course, the other guys, the President Agnelli, um, if these bands are upgraded within to UEFA and then FIFA as well, it's not looking good. Yeah, I, if I were you, the uh, the Juve board, I would, you know, shut the fuck up. Neved got an eight month ban. I'm looking at Forbes. They had they got an eight month ban. Um, this can get nasty. Like you said, they're taking it up to FIFA, and then they give it go to the court of arbitration for sport. And listen, I would take it on the chin and just keep it moving and keep it pushing. Also. For the odd chance that somehow, some way, Juve can still climb into the top four. They're going to have to do a lot of winning. <laughs> exactly. And it's something that they've not been good at this season. They they could still climb their their next games are against Monza, Salernitana, and Fiorentina, and Spezia. Juve can get wins to get them into the top four. If you keep on playing like you do, though, by making it hard on yourselves. Well, Juve is going to play in the Conference League unless they win yes. the Coppa Italia. Next. Um, but for, for the fan that I am, I, I kind of do want to see that. Juve work their way from the top four out of the top four and then back into it. That would be some funny-ass shit. <laughs> uh, what, what a slap in the face that would be to the punishment. Should have relegated us. <laughs> That's what y'all should have did. Ooh. Well, I should not, don't, no, 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 no. Let's not say that now. <laughs> they don't even no. have City of B on TV, fam. Oh, no, and the Bachelors are gone nowadays. RIP, he's go. Yeah, you'd have to RIP, he's go for sure. RIP, Ronaldo 7. You already know what time it is. Um, yeah, you'd have to read about those results in the, in the paper the next day. <laughs> <laughs> Does but, anyone um, have the sports section? <laughs> but, um, no. Like I said, in Juve, in theory, they can climb their way back into the top four. Uh, It'll be tough. If they get a win, that's 26 points. They'll overtake Torino. Another win, they can overtake Udinese. And boom, conference league position. Right. If, if uh, let's say, it's, uh, hypothetically, they win their next, those four, what was it, four fixtures that you mentioned, and the top four lose their next four, uh, it's 12 points on the board for Juventus. That'll still see them uh, sitting at tied tied with Atalanta on fifth. Then they need. Well, who's that top four? That doesn't take into account Atalanta's results. Right. Oh, I'm sorry. So, yes. So anything could happen, but they need a lot to happen. <laughs> it's rough, rough out here. Now, it, it's benefit. It's a good thing that the 15 point drop only brought them down to tenth. Facts. If that shit brought them down to like say where Salernitana is right now, now we're really looking at okay, you're probably in a relegation scrap for like a day. You're gonna end the season in like seventh or eighth. Right now, um, it's just funny also to look at the table and see Juventus on twenty three points with uh, eleven wins, three losses, thirty goals for, fifteen goals conceded, a goal yeah, difference of fifteen. And then you look at the teams around them. Torino, seven wins, seven losses, the goal difference of minus one. It's like, what, what is happening here? Ah, scandal. Gotta love it. Yeah, man, that's, that is wild. But we've seen many a point deduction in football history, so how teams bounce back from it, I don't know. And this is on the field. Uh, my fear also is that this means Vlahovic is gone, but off the field, yeah. I'm glad that that toxicity is out. Facts. So I guess we'll just have to stay tuned. And there, apparently, there is evidence and whatnot, and wiretaps, and 
we'll see more about this. We talked about the up, the potential upgrading of the punishment, uh, the appeals, of course, which no doubt, like you said, will happen at some point. So we'll, we'll just have to stay tuned and keep keep a, our eye on this one as the story continues to unfold. And I can't wait to really get into it and unpack the nitty gritty. Uh, like, for example, Juventus is publicly, it's a publicly traded stock. They over here messing with folks' money, yo. <laughs> What was the name of the dude that took money from the Mets? Uh, the Ponzi guy. The Ponzi guy. Yeah, the Ponzi guy. Uh, Bernie Madoff. <laughs> oh man, they're Bernie Madoffing people. Ain't that some yeah. shit? That was the big story in the city of this week, and on the field, I don't know if it affected you in the three-three draw against Atlanta. It was a very, very good match. That was. Chesney had having some whoppers in goal, but you know, three three draw, sticking in the Serie A. Uh, uh, Roma defeated Spezia, and the two Milan clubs play during the week. Interplay Empoli on Monday, Milan are away to Lazio on Tuesday. Boom! Pow! Big match. Malinkovic yes. Savage leading the league currently in assists. Ah, oh, God! I wish he played for Spurs. Now they know there. <laughs> And Fiorentina lost to Torino, which is why Juve went up a uh, a position. Bundesliga. Yes, indeed. It's back. Talk about it. It's back, and boy, did it come back with a bang. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip right past the Friday match, which should have been a marquee matchup. And for all intents and purposes, it kind of was. Uh, the 1-1 draw between Bayern and RB Leipzig, but the match of the weekend. Maybe... More entertaining than the Arsenal and uh, Manchester United fixture, depending on who you ask. BVB versus Augsburg. <laughs> what in the world happened there? Yo, are are we surprised, though? No, we're not. We know BVB can't defend for their life. They will put some goals on, though. That's a fact. That's on a good day. <laughs> and today happened to be the good day. They were playing Augsburg. They were back home. Yellow wall. Fans are all back. Sebastian Iger's first start, first match as a BVB player coming off of his cancer diagnosis. Was it cancer or was it a tumor? Yeah, testicular cancer, I believe. Right. Yellow wall, thunderous, and you still happen to give up two goals before halftime. Couldn't hold on to a lead for shit. It's what? 2-2 at the half? Yeah, 2-2 at the half. 2-2 at half. Uh, Bellingham, my man, with a goal. And Slaughterbeck as well for BVB where on Augsburg's end, Arnie Meyer and Ermadine Demrovich. Demrovich? One thing BVB is good at is having their young talent aged 17 to like 20, 21 be on point for them because for a moment, 18-year-old Jamie Bino-Gittens gave them the lead only for Augsburg to tie the shit back up again, 3-3. 3-3, what a match. And then the man of the American hour, the man whose mama and papa wants to make this guy a, a Nepo baby, Gio Reyna scored the game winner. Take and that. And that was a how- <laughs> Oh, he's definitely thinking that. And oh, uh, yeah. you could tell that from the celebration. Hands in the ears on some Memphis Depay. Yeah, and BVB is fully on this man's side. ESPN posted like a highlight clip of it, and in the comments, it's an American flag and a thought bubble. Boom, pow. The goal itself, though, was outstanding from Reyna. This is what he can do. I don't know why. I mean, we know why now, but <laughs> yes, we do. Yes, we do. It makes it makes zero sense. But BVB get the win. I did make the mention that Sebastian Iyer did return to BVB. This was actually his first official match with Dortmund. Yep. Yeah, he did play some friendlies. And I believe, uh, I might be mistaken, maybe some U23 fixtures, but he's certainly been back in training. But he's back back in the first first team. And a good uh, reception he got. Very good reception. Deserve it, man. You know, it's a rough thing for anybody to go through. So prayers out to him and his family and his loved ones. Uh, happy to see him making his return. Yeah, so big prayers up to him. And glad to see him back. And, uh, yeah, what a win for BBB. Bino Gittins. go up to sixth place. Oh, wow. See, if you guys defended it just a little bit more, maybe it might be different. That's not there nor there. Uh, Jamie, Bino- Bino- 
Jamie, Jamie Bino uh, getting is one actually that I feel good about because I, I think uh, I had my eye on him. Um, so it's nice to see him continue to perform at such a young age. No, I agree. Again, BVB, I have a knack for turning out 16s, 17s, 18s, 19s. So shouts to Borussia Dortmund. Uh, you mentioned the top of the table, Bayern drawing to Leipzig. Eintracht Frankfurt climbed all the way up to second after their win over Schalke. Union Berlin, they defeated Hoffenheim 3-1. And then the ass-whooping that I was not anticipating, Wolfsburg 6, Freiburg 0. Freiburg are still in the top four, but I did not need to see that ass-whooping. Talk about a slump after the World Cup. They should have goofed up. 6-0 I would have never seen coming. I, I was as confident. And this goes back to the conversation of football is going to football. And I was almost as confident that Freiburg would win as I was uh, that Napoli would win against Juventus. And look at that. 6-0. Only to be outdone by Khan defeating Werder Bremen 7-1. Oh, Bundesliga is back. <laughs> Clearly some clubs, some clubs aren't back yet, though. <laughs> and you mentioned the match today, Leverkusen and Mönchengladbach. Jokingly, but it was a good match, 3-2 final. Uh, a lot of smoke in the second half. Lost into rescuing two goals, but everything was pretty much signed, sealed, and delivered for Leverkusen. Leverkusen, uh, headed by that that man, that handsome man, uh, Chabi Alonso. Uh, can you put them on the right track? And it seems uh, to be the case. They've been playing really well. Uh, four wins out of their last five, uh, going back before the World Cup, and then today as well. They said in ninth, Chabi Alonso, getting it together. Hey, man, he is getting it together for uh, Leverkusen. We'll see how they finish up the season. Oh, they have Europa League still as well, and yep. their ties so, against Monaco. Yep, they're still in it, and I think they've got a lot of potential to do well and finish the season out strong. Again, Chabi Alonso, if they perform as good as he looks, ooh, <laughs> hopes are high. Yeah. So there is that. Any final bits and pieces before we get to the time? I think uh, based on what my watch is telling me, I've got no other input about this except for that time. Okay. Drop that Ronald Coleman. Nobody is doing like what some journalists do when they write bullshit. Wow, you are afraid to say it. If it's all bullshit stories, what is it? Most of the times, it's uh, it's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> that Ronald Coleman. <laughs> I have two BSs of the week to present. One peculiar and one a bit more on the serious side. Let me get on that one first. I don't know how this came across my wire, but I'm glad it did. First things first, shouts to Icelandic international Sarah Bjork, Gunnar's daughter. We saw her at the European Championship last summer. She recently put out an article on The Athletic titled, What Happened When I Got Pregnant? I had no idea of this. When she did get pregnant, she was playing for Lyon, Olympique Lyonnais, which is pretty much the best women's football team in the world historically. Can we agree? Prestigious. Prestigious. Absolutely. Barcelona is coming to that level. Wolfsburg probably have always been on that level. Same with Arsenal women. She moved to Leon in the summer of 2020. She was living her dream. She won the Champions League and then somehow, some way, she got pregnant. You know, she did her tests and all and then, you know, came the issue of how do you tell your team? She told her the team physios and the doctors. They said, just keep this under wraps for now. We'll tell the team when the time is right and we're like, all right, it's Sounds good. Sounds good. I'm reading this along, and um, it she makes a mention. She goes back to Iceland after you know telling her team that oh she's pregnant, 
She goes back to Iceland, and here's a line that really stuck out. I didn't have any reason to think anything would go wrong until I didn't get my first paycheck. What? To be fair, there were a lot of logistical stuff to deal with, so I didn't think about too much of it. Probably a clerical error, but I checked with the other players just to be sure. They were paid right on time. Then, after a couple months, like she's like, okay, wait a minute. She talked to her agent, and the agent's like, wait a minute, this, this isn't right. And apparently, there's this law in France, meaning that uh, they're only responsible for paying the first two months of maternity, and then after three months, that's it, you're gone. You don't owe, you're not owed anything. Bullshit. Ghana's doctor's agent said that's not right. They should be going by FIFA rules. And again, Sarah Bjork, Gunner's doctor, she decided to take this to FIFA Pro. And then this uh, executive from Leon said, and I quote, if Sarah goes to FIFA with this, she has no future in Leon at all. Despicable. Mm-hmm. A moment that should be celebrated, the birth of a new child. And yet you're having to deal with all this bullshit, not getting paid, having the threat of your position on the team being removed. All of this while you're in another country recuperating and stuff like that. When you get back to Leon, everyone's looking at you sideways now like, oh, why is this noisy baby going to be on the plane with us? Oh, you're going to be a distraction to the team now. It, it, it was a toxic environment for Ghana's doctor. You could tell when you read this article on The Athletic. But last May, she got the decision that the Olympic Leonet were ordered to pay all of her unpaid salaries, plus however money she was owed. And Leon were on some bullshit that, oh no. They, they, per the article, Leon requested the grounds of the decision, which one normally does if it is intended to appeal. And once they got the decision, they could read how FIFA analyzed the case and then arrive to its conclusion. They spoke about the duty of the care of the club and that no one while she was pregnant was checking up on her, seeing how she was doing physically nor mentally, how if she was keeping if her or the baby were healthy and that's just basic human decency and leon had none of that so now she's in a much different scenario uh she got all of her monies she's still representing the iceland national team she's playing for juventus and just the fact that this even happened olympic leone bs of the week and it probably wasn't on anyone's radar for the fact that it's women's football and the fact that that's probably the reason it's sad on its own but um that's my first bs of the week any thoughts on it that's just disheartening to hear uh if if i'm a player or if i'm a woman in this organization or you know feeling like they don't have my back forget all that like just leave me out to dry it's absolute bullshit it's disgusting it's despicable it's bs that's not that's it just leaves a nasty taste in your mouth you hate to see shit like that and the fact that it's coming from leon just doesn't it just strikes you as all right they're the best team in the world eight champions league titles however many french titles they've won and for them to treat one of their players like this it kind of puts you off from being a leon fan if you weren't one already exactly and with an institution that prestigious, like that's won that much to conduct themselves in that sort of manner. What does that say about other stars of the game? Would they want to play for you? You know, it doesn't make you look any good. It just, it's just nasty. Uh, and who's to say you're not next? Exactly. And so the one thing, the one positive I can take away from this is that at least they're showing their cards. Now we know who they are. If folks didn't kind of already know behind the scenes, at least we, the public, are kind of realizing this now. That's horseshit. It's all bullshit. Absolutely. But um, get your money, Sarah. And again, she's in a much better situation now. She's one of my own. Shouts to Juventus. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, the second BS of the week. I'm sticking in Italy for this one. See how the transition goes. Beautiful. So, amen. Gotta love it. I'm going to one of our favorite clubs. They've been a favorite club of ours since they joined the city. Uh, again, Salernitana. Great name. Great name, not so great business. Davi Nicola was the manager of Salernitana. Uh, I made a mention of this briefly last week. Salernitana lost 8-2 to Atalanta. It was a heavy ass whooping. Six fingers Ochoa couldn't save that even if he had 12. But it was after that match that Nicola was sacked by the club. Nothing uh, out of the ordinary. We've seen that before. We've seen that before, of course. You gotta, you know, 
freshen things up after a hefty defeat like that. But somehow, some way, Salernitana and uh, Nicola were like, well, Salernitana was like, listen, since you took this job in February last year, you pretty much boosted us to a level that we thought we wouldn't see. We were damn near fighting relegation with the skin of our teeth. We were sitting in 20th for most of the season. And then we had our little climb and we somehow, some way with our shit goal difference stood in Serie A, saved relegation. And this season we're, we're in a low mid table, high relegation area. So we're, we're doing good. We lost eight two, but yeah, I'm sorry. Let's bring you back. Nicola was dismissed. On a Monday and on a Wednesday, he was rehired by Salernitana. <laughs> now that I haven't seen before. <laughs> I literally not seen this before either. But I kind of do like the move though. They needed, they shouldn't have sacked him in the first place. But I like the fact that they brought him back. The sacking is what's BS of the week. But shouts to David Nicola, Salernitana manager. They lost to Napoli, like I said, but that was always going to happen. I still think Nap- uh, Salernitana will stay up the- for a second consecutive season. And uh, yeah, Nicola's been responsible for that. So, shouts to him. Again, this situation was so hilarious. BS of the week to this. LV, what have you got? So, for my BS of the week, uh, we kind of spoke about it. Nothing major. It was just, uh, we talked about must-watch football. We talked about you know, high scoring affairs or even low scoring affairs or no scoring affairs that are entertaining. Now, mm-hmm. this uh, this mid table clash between uh, two Premier League greats, Chelsea and Liverpool, uh, was none of that. A nil nil draw. Two teams nine and ten in the place places uh, in the standings. Uh, that match offered nothing. A combined total of five shots on target for both squads uh, over the course of ninety minutes. 50-50 basically in possession, a lot of passing, a lot of bullshit, a lot of, ew, that is not, when folks that don't watch football, this is, you know, say this is why we don't like football, you don't point, don't point them to that match. You had some friends you were trying to convert into foot, footy fans, uh, <laughs> this was not the one. Uh, I'm sure they might never watch the sport after watching something like that. There's so overall, with France, Argentina. There you go. And just uh, tell them it's live. <laughs> tell them it's live. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Just an unbelievably poor match. Grand Potter for Chelsea. Jurgen Klopp. No glasses Klopp, as I've mentioned. The theory, so at the moment, still holding. We'll see what happens as the season progresses. Nothing to show for it. Now, Chelsea did have one bright spot. Their new signing they stole from Arsenal. The $100 million man, Mudrick. Uh, he did look good. He did feature off of the bench, you know. That's all you can really say for one match that's showing. Outside now of that, Chelsea man. Putting, now it's sorry to cut you off. Is Chelsea putting Mudrick's uh, Instagram handle on their bio like a girlfriend uh, BS of the Week worthy? You know what? And, and I feel like it would be if they were if they were trying to be petty. That's what it was giving me. I kind of like that. <laughs> mm. They were like, ooh, look who we got. <laughs> I thought that was kind of petty. Um, so I don't know. I'm not mad at it. I'll say that. I'm not mad at it. Now, if it happened to Spurs, I may, and Chelsea have done this many a time, uh, the Willian transfer comes to mind. He had his medical at Spurs and ended up at Chelsea. How does that happen? I don't know. So they're not new to this game. They're true to this game. Todd Bowley is keeping the tradition alive of spending money and being petty. Now, we'll see if that works for them. Unfortunately, in this match, where both teams shared a point, they both should have lost a point uh, for this showing. It was terrible. BS the week. Come on, guys. 15 points each. No, no, that's, that's, that's a, a special... That's, a, that's saved for a special team. The greatest cheaters there ever was. Uh, that's not they right cheated there. us out of good football. They, they, You know what, Ronnie? They sure did. I, I wish I had more hands so I could give this four thumbs down. Deduct points from these two teams. That was whack. It almost made me stop watching football. Just kidding. That's not going to happen. <laughs> that's not happening. <laughs> uh, that being said, BS of the Week, Chelsea and Liverpool. Get it together, guys. What the hell was that? It brought back to mind the pandemic era uh big six clashes where it'd be a lot of this and for for a period of time we were really you know watching these matches go from neither team was trying to win they were really just trying not to lose and maybe conserve energy as well along the way this was 
I didn't I didn't even get that from this. It was just bleh. So come on, y'all. What are we doing here? That's all I got, Ronnie. Uh, do you want to go ahead and sign us up before I have more bad things to say about this match? Hey, man. Uh, I want to say shouts to, uh, I guess, Cristiano Ronaldo for debuting at Al Nasser against Etifak. one nothing winners in the South African Pro League. Did you see... I did say South African Pro League, right? Did you see... Oh, yeah, definitely South Africa. Did you see the uh, Riyadh All-Stars versus PSG? I did not. I did see... Uh, I, I heard a lot about it. Apparently, it was a feisty affair. A lot of goals. A lot of bullshit. I heard the... Because uh, apparently, PSG were streaming the match on their YouTube. And when both Ronaldo and Messi came off, their views dropped precipitously by a few hundred K. <laughs> that's funny if that doesn't tell you anything about football i don't know what does thank you all for listening to episode 127 of the football misfits we appreciate your listenership and your interactions with us on instant gram episode 128 of the podcast is right around the corner so for the good brother lv I go by the name of Ronnie. We will see you then. Do stay strong and be brave. Adios, my people.